Home Festival podcast. Producer Trent here. Today's episode is a crossover with the Guilty Feminist podcast. Deborah Francis-White is chatting to Robin and Josie, and they're also joined by Pope Lonergan and some music from Pictish Trail. If you'd like to leave a tip in the jar for venues that are very close to closing or artists who uh, have no income at the moment, you can do that at cosmicshambles.com slash stay at home. Or if you'd like to join our Patreon to help us uh, keep making all this stuff, that's patreon.com slash bookshambles. Take it away. Good morning. Welcome to Shambles Stay at Home Festival and welcome to uh, the giant mouth of Josie Long there. That was... Uh... I will eat you all. That's scary, isn't it? Yeah, he's got a bit of spinach, by the way, just in the... Uh, just, oh, just, no, just, no. There, just there, just there, just that. That's... Yeah, there, it's gone now, it's gone now, it's gone now. How are you, um, Robin? I'm very good. I'm very good. I, I last night watched, you know, when you, I don't forget how brilliant a film is, but you know, there's certain films where you know they're brilliant and then you return to them and you go, this really is remarkable. And so last night I watched. What it means is you will feel affected. Yeah, it's brilliant. My brain knows. And you're like, no, no, the heart feels. Well, the elephant man. I just oh, watched, God. I watched almost, I, I, I think I only do it every two years because it's. Every two I, years because it's. And I also made my 12 year old watch it as well. No, Robin! You know what happened to me when my mum got us to watch Of Mice and Men and The Elephant Man back to back? No, that's oh. a lot. That's a lot. Well, that's an education, isn't it? That's when you're concerned that you're, you, haven't you haven't exposed, exposed your children to sh- enough trauma yeah. and they're not going to cope at university. So but you just go. That just three short years later, they will be having a bitter and acrimonious divorce. divorce. So she could have just left those in the box. We, have, mean, um, we haven't introduced you. We better. This, I'm sorry. No, no, it's exciting. This is Deborah Francis White. Hello, how are you? Hello, I'm very well. And you're not meant to talk on the radio before you've been introduced because people think, who is that ghostly voice? This, this, this show, is, show is, is, has got shambles in the name, so I feel like it's okay. Also, oh, we find so many ways of being shambolic. There'll be new, inventive ways of being shambolic. How can I see them? What was? Can I see them? What was? I do oh, think. Sorry, sorry, Josie. Sorry. How did your son find the find the film? Traumatic, you know. The because uh, I've forgotten how because it's only a PG and we have quite far hard and fast rules on PGs and twelves <laughs> and you know fighting with my family is fine but some of the others you know a little bit and uh, we started watching the Breakfast Club the other day which I don't like by the way I don't like because its ultimate message of hey goth girls why not wear white and clean yourself up a little bit I feel is overly negative uh, but I'd forgotten how rude that was so that got turned off quite quickly but Elephant Man is I think quite emotionally traumatic but so utterly beautiful I think ultimately the message of it the the it's just on every level John Gilgan Wendy Hiller Church. Uh, and it is a very beautiful yeah the ending but the traumatic moments of torture uh, the traumatic moments of Freddie Jones again absolutely wonderful but I can because he's so awful in that whenever i saw him in anything else i was like i know what you did and i will never forgive you 
<laughs> oh, you see, I was lucky because I was introduced to him in, in a, uh, a TV show written by Richard Carpenter, who went on to write the uh, Robin the Hooded Man series called Ghosts of Motley Hall. Ghosts of Motley Hall, in which he was a cheeky ghost. So I knew him <laughs> first as a cheeky ghost before I knew him as uh, a cruel circus sideshow uh, man. So, so that that was kind of okay. But anyway, no, I just want to say uh, this is such a, a remarkable piece of work. I think it is possibly David Lynch's great. And what I love about it as well is if you if you read David Lynch's autobiography, which is he's got a lot of interesting stories, is Mel Brooks fought so hard to make sure that David Lynch's vision, every time the studios lost their nerve, Mel Brooks would go in with another bit of shtick that he would use to make sure. And yet again, uh, Mel Brooks becomes elevated to another yeah, level and yeah, yeah. Bancroft's in it as well. And it is, and that's what amazes me as a film that ultimately became a mainstream film. It is artistically tremendously brave. It is tremendously at times bizarre. Uh, it is. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's one of the most, and it has got about four. We took, you taught me the, Term crying porn, and I would say that there's like four moments in the Elephant Man where you the first one when he's reciting Psalm 23. Oh, don't I it's really, it's Cargum. Oh, every time, yes, you've been you've all been so yeah. Oh, <sighs> and then going into the yes, looking the, at, yes, looking at Hannah Gordon's house. Oh man, what a beautiful film! What's your one, Josie? What is your one where you just know? I've seen this 40 times, and yet my emotional reaction... Well, it's it's absolutely not in the same league, but I watch, in terms of kind of trauma or anything like that, I watched Mean Girls the other day. I swear I've seen Mean Girls 10 times. It's so funny and so good and such a... And every time I watch it, it feels more like a special treat of um, comfort and fun. Um, I do have certain issues with it because, like, there's a character that gets bullied she gets bullied for being gay the whole way through and then at the end they give her a boyfriend and I, I remember sort of reading some people discussing it sort of saying what a cop-out that was and then the more I watch it I'm like oh yeah like it's it's it would like that's that's them sort of smoothing the edges of what might have seemed difficult for them to get made or something. I don't know. I don't That's know. exactly the same as the Breakfast Club that whole thing where you go hey kids be what you want to be but preferably but preferably dressed in white with all lovely hair. And I feel that that, uh, you know, simple minds. What about you, Deborah? Do you have a, a, a any particular film, television, something that you just go, do you know what? I'm, so I'm just going to turn to this. Well, I have a, I have one that I can't watch because I'm scared I won't have as big a reaction as I did. Oh. So when I was a little girl, at the on the last day of term, um, and children, if you're listening, we used to have last day of terms and <laughs> you, where the, the teacher would wheel out a television set because in those days they were not attached to the wall, um, uh, put on a film. And I think we we're all about like 11. And they put on a black and white film with Mickey Rooney as a little boy playing um, a poor little rich kid on a cruise liner. And he it's called Captain's Courageous and he falls over the side and gets picked up by a fishing trawler. And the fishermen say, uh, the fisherman, his name is Manuel, and he says, you know, we'll take you back, but when we've finished fishing. And this little boy has never been given any attention by his parents and and at first reacts very badly to having help, to having to help. Um, and by the time he is dropped back to his parents, he is clutching Manuel and just, I can't even talk about it virtually without crying, but just 
saying, please don't leave me, please don't send me back, because Manuel has become his father because he's never really had parents. And I sat amongst these 11-year-olds who were all joking and talking and laughing and passing sweets on my own, this rabble around me of no one was interested in this old black and white film except me. And I just sat there sobbing and sobbing and sobbing on my own. The following year, I'm not making this up, they played the same film on the last day of term and the same thing happened. I sat there crying like I'd lost my own father. And I've never seen it since. And Tom is very good at hearing these stories. Tom's my husband. He hears a story like that. And he then finds it and puts it in my Christmas stocking. Sort of something I've said I loved from childhood. And he gave it to me one Christmas and I haven't dared watch it because what if it's just cheesy and corny and I'm like, I, I why was I crying go back. I, I We were talking about this yesterday, talking about with, with the good about with with the goodies and things like that where people sometimes get as adults become critical mm. of what they loved as a child and you go no 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 these are separate issues do not lose the love you had for see the one that still gets me and i used to talk about it and i did about a 10 minute reenactment in one of the shows that i once did is is oddly enough the film the wild geese the mercenary action film with richard huh. Burton and hardy kruger and richard harris and roger moore in which roger moore plays the irishman and richard harris play anyway it's a very confused film <laughs> in one way but it has a scene where Richard Harris, who's been bringing up his son on his own, has to tell him he won't be with him at Christmas. And the little boy oh. is very upset. He's got all this pile of presents. Do you want to open your presents? And he goes, no, father, I'd better go back. And he runs back to go and play a sport. And he just goes, I love you. And you don't. And he doesn't see the little boys. He's running away, just saying under his, his breath, I love you too. And oh. it's like, oh, every oh. time, every time. Yeah, but there's a, there's a um, Cadbury's Dairy Milk advert that was the <laughs> quickest <laughs> made me cry, which went, um, you're a really good footballer, son. You're a really good dad, mum. Oh. oh see, the one that get, the, no, it doesn't get me, but I do find Is it that utterly that a bit of a feminist butt, Josie? Because why can't a mother be well, encouraging oh. about football? <laughs> Don't get me a wrong. feminist butt. The, uh, you you must take this issue up with the manufacturers and advertisers of dairy milk. I'm merely a poor. I'll be doing that later today as part of my daily feminism. I have to do a lot at home now, and it's something like doing your exercises at home. You have to do small start stretches. Stretches when right into Cadbury's and complaining about a ten year old ad. Thank you. I'd be very. Uh, it's caused me a lot of distress. Yet another patriarch. Yeah. Another patriarchal message from the purveyors of cocoa solids. The um, I, uh, I the advert that I do find an absolute joy of Tom. It's on is the guide dogs for the blind, in which a, a little girl is playing football and she's shouting to her dad what she's doing all the time, and you have no. And then there's a revelation uh, where she turns to the, the dog end, and says, "You're a great dad." Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> it's not what happens. Anyway, so this is we're going to. Uh, Show and tell, very quickly. My show and tell today uh, is, uh, amongst others, Tales of Unease by John Burke, uh, oh, wow. who um, also went on to uh, the, the film. I am wearing the shorts, by the way. Sorry? I, I just moved and my leg came into frame and I just wanted people to know so I am That's one of those moments that's going to go viral, <laughs> like the lady who went to the loo. It's just going to be like Josie Long just completely <laughs> flashed. Oh, no, <laughs> that's and, like in uh, the uh, very early days when people had webcams, webcams and there would be that all of those threads wouldn't there about literally someone moving in the background or what, everything became obsessed oh. so, so, so neat there was a knee today anyway so um, tales of unease Une sounds incredible uh, john burke and the sorcerers which uh was a screenplay that was written a uh, great film with boris karloff and i have the second pound book of horror stories as well that's just one of the many that's one of the gory covers and the reason i have all of these is because my show and tell is to show and tell about the birthday of johnny mains uh 
uh, who um, you oh, know, yeah. Johnny Maines, okay. who, uh, amongst many other things, wrote this book uh, about Herbert von Thal, who did all the Pan Book of Horror Stories, also uh, wrote a book uh, which includes the screenplay of The Sorcerers, with, with, which he wrote with John Burke, uh, has uh, wrote a book uh, called um, A Disturbing Horror Story, uh, which is a wonderful kind of novel, and if you love horror, and he's done loads of incredible, great kind of archive work, as well as writing of his own. It is his birthday. I was going to say happy birthday to you, Johnny, and if you're watching as well, good morning morning to Marnie and uh, and Lou and also to mention he has a new book which he's written the introduction for Todd Robbins who wrote uh, the story which Todd Browning's Freaks is based on and also uh, the Lon Chaney film The Unholy Three they've just brought out for the first time in the UK some of his short stories some of his very uncanny and strange short stories wow. and Johnny wrote the introduction for that so which is called Unholy Tales. It's by Todd Robbins. It has a great introduction by um, Johnny. Happy birthday, Johnny Maines. You are my show and tell for this morning. That sounds really So there we are. That's my show. I'll show you mine. I, uh, you already have, Josie. That was, uh, we've covered that. <laughs> what, uh, what, uh, you already have. Show don't tell. Uh, my daughter's just coming up. She's, she's learned how to do some really funny walks. Oh. Yeah. You? You're playing the guitar. My friend Ed Morris has trained his trained his little boy to walk in like the little boy in that, uh, oh. that news clip. So that when he's on Zoom, his little boy comes in behind going. <laughs> <laughs> Can you show us fun things? Or is she not allowed on? Uh, she's, no, she she's doesn't. We, 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 she, she's a, a voice from off in that rather wonderful way, like the kind of the Mrs. Columbo, really, of uh, the Shamble Stay at Home Festival. We know she exists. I'm going to ask you, before we do your show, tell something I would love to know about is... Um, we we were doing a book shambles in the small room of the Albert Hall when you were doing The Guilty Feminist at the Albert Hall in the main room. Oh, yeah. And the enormity of the reception of everyone and so many of the ideas on stage you know I, I was kind of watching some of it from the back and just seeing this shit and i just i wanted to know i'm sure you were you at the royal albert hall show for the guilty feminist we, yeah we oh, were yeah. doing a show in the little room so we came and kind of you know um, yeah. Yeah. i didn't know and, that uh, there was drinks um, after robert i would have invited you in for drinks if i yeah known. we had to go and do a show in a, our little room in our little elgar room I've the Elgar room. There's other no, no need to be stiffy about the Elgar room. Oh, I've no, played that lovely room. room. Lovely it. room. I, I, I had sisters uncut make... in there. I had sisters uncut and Stella Creasy together on the same bill, and uh, they really they, they got on really well. Really well. Anyway, sorry, go on. Well, to know about that that moment when what was the original thinking behind the Guilty Feminist podcast? Because it seems to be quite a rapid move from it just got picked up and loved, and and then as I said, you know, full Albert Hall in, on a Sunday on Sunday afternoon. afternoon. Um, um, I think, I think honestly, honestly, a lot, a lot of, of, the, of the success of it is that women are thirsty, mm -hmm. and there just isn't a lot for us, made for us by us, that hasn't been adulterated by a lot of other voices trying to sort of second guess what women want. Um, so I started it four years ago with Sophie Hagen and it just came off some lunches we were having where we were both at the same time going, because there was a wave of feminism coming up and we, we would, I, I remember getting really upset about things and I felt like the, the conversations were turning away from us personally into feminist conversations naturally every time I had lunch with someone or drinks or something with someone 
um, instead of talking about our own careers and our own love lives and things like that, it felt like this conversation just shifted and I started finding myself getting really angry. It first bubbled up for me in 2011 at the Adelaide Fringe Festival where I had three or four revelations and big conversations and one I ended up, I was crying and crying and crying, like just trying to convince some men. I was crying like I'd just seen Crapton's Courageous. And like, and I was trying to convince some men that it was harder for a young woman I was mentoring in comedy who was Muslim covered, um, Asian, and uh, that I couldn't get her gigs. I could only get her gigs on Asian women nights and things like that. And these men just would not accept it. They just said, they were, but they weren't just going, I don't think you're right. They were looking at each other and sort of slightly sniggering like she thinks like it was like a little gaslighting effect. Um, one of them said, well, I'm a character comedian, so it's just as difficult for me. And I said, no, it isn't. You don't, you're not. That's not your identity. You could choose to do stand up. And when you go into the club, you look like those boys. And so you can you can speak to them on a level anyway. So we were starting to have these conversations. And the thing Sophie and I were saying to each other is, I don't know if I'm really good enough to engage because the, all the feminists I saw were so strident and confident. They really knew exactly what they thought. Um, they were fighting a good fight in a really powerful and, and inspirational way. But I kept saying, well, yeah, but I'm secretly also want to look good sitting down naked. And uh, no, then they, they don't want that. They are all they want is that is, is gender equality. And I want all these ignoble things. And so we started sort of confessing those things to each other and uh, sort of said, you know, comedians, therefore, this, these conversations should obviously be broadcast. They're a waste. They're a waste mm -hmm. between the two of us. Is someone recording this now? We were asking. And so we started it with um, a little fringe theatre, 30 people and 20, 30 people in the audience, 20 I could recognise and knew both first and surnames of and 10 of their mates. And we put the first episode out. And we were hoping for 2,000 downloads and then it got 10,000 like that. And then it got a review in The Guardian. I'd never had a review in The Guardian for anything. Mm. And then it just took off. And I honestly think there were so many women who were feeling, I want to be part of this, but I'm not sure I'm good enough to call myself a feminist. I'm not sure I'm good enough to be an activist. I'm not sure I'm really good enough to engage at this level. Who went, oh my God, thank God you've said that. If I don't have to be perfect to be a force for meaningful change, I'm in, I'll go for it. And so that, and so it sort of developed from there and, and sort of about nine months in, so if you wanted to go off and do other stuff, she'd become more radical in her feminism uh, admirably. And she was interested in stuff around anxiety and fat acceptance. And so she wanted to go off and do her own thing. And I thought, well, I don't want to drop it because people are really getting a lot out of it. I wasn't huge then, like, you know, it was just building, but it wasn't big, big. Um, so I thought, I can have more diversity if I keep that seat open for different co-hosts and then we can have lots and lots of women of different identities and then we sort of understood we needed to make it more inclusive to people of minority genders as well as uh, women so we you know in, we became more inclusive around you know trans issues and so on and so on but I've honestly I think I I started the podcast to wallow in my own oppression and what I've learned more than anything is about my own that's cool mm. That's really cool. Turns out I'm not very pressed. I feel that way about lockdown now. I'm like, oh, oh, all the crises I was having about my lack of purpose and lack of time to work were actually not really that bad. <laughs> <laughs> they were actually, I was actually doing fine. <laughs> I would very much uh, 
back to being low level irritated about my amazing life. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what I feel all the time. But I think as I knew it, I've been saying it for years. I've been saying we we are in a blip of a temporal geographical blip of choice and creativity and convenience and luxury and that very so few human beings have had the experience that people in the west have had between and and certainly some people in the west very much more than others between the second world war and i kept saying 2050 i kept thinking it was going to go till 2050 and i was off by 30 years that I felt like this is going to be seen as this ridiculous era. We have been sitting down pretty much since 1950 in a warm, we've, mo many, many people in the West have been sitting down in a warm room. And I think, I, well, I think this sort of discounts the working class. That's what I say, many, many, most people. Many, yeah, but many, most people have probably been, been working, working in, in factory jobs and, or, you know, I, I, I mean, but I totally, completely, I agree with the thrust of your point. In the last few decades, though, in the last few decades, if you looked at most lives in the West, even, I mean, unless you're homeless, if you're indoors and you're warm and you have enough <laughs> calories for the week, it is still, I mean, it's the thing is, it's not, a, it's not because of the ha happiness is, is all about, is all relative. It's always relative. But I don't think we get quite okay this is something that this is this is how i'm looking at. i'm not discounting those experiences Josie. i'm really no i know i'm just being silly i think that i totally get the thrust of what you're saying and i think it's important like i think we've been in a really unusual time and i do i completely like in terms of like going to a grocery shop and seeing food from all seasons, all the time, whenever you want it, and things like that. It's yeah, I complete. Sorry, I wasn't. No, I no, I know exactly. I do know what you mean. I do think. Okay, this is this is this is um, uh, something I heard on radio four years ago. I think it was at the centenary of the First World War, and somebody asked an expert, "How would young people today go if they had to go into the trenches?" and uh in the like first world war trenches and the historian said it's not a rel it's not a useful question because people who went into the trenches men who went into the trenches had all had really uncomfortable lives so all they'd all been down a mine or up a chimney or in some they'd they'd been standing up since they were born dirty since they were born hungry since they were born and even the officer classes had been to really grim public schools where they had been hungry they had been very cold they had had to, you know, they'd been starved of affection, beaten regularly, like beaten on the reg, reg severely. So everyone in the First World War who was in a fighting role had had a horrible life up until that point. So the trenches were awful, but they were awful compared to a really, really terrible life. And now what the story was saying is most young people, even if they're disenfranchised and even if they've had a really, really, really tough upbringing on a council estate, have lived indoors and they've sat on soft things and they've had, you know, like access to sweets and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? Like, so she was saying, it's just not, it's not a relevant question because of how difficult life was. And people, people got ill from fevers all the time and died just constantly. People were just constantly, constantly dying. So I think what I'm trying to say is um, not god everyone's so lucky now but more that i feel it's like i've just felt this like something like this brewing for ages because how can we get away without something so 
vast, if you see what I mean. That's what I think Hans Rosling's book, Factfulness, which yeah, I did tremendously well, um, is a very useful book. It, first of all, reminding you that there has been a sense of progress. There has been a sense. But also, you know, he uses that lovely term as opposed to when people called him, called him an optimist. He said, I'm not an optimist. I'm a possibilist. These are the possibilities. We now have access to greater possibilities. But as, as he, you know, underlined all the time, uh, as does Stephen Pinker in books like Better Angels of Our Nature, it doesn't mean it's going to you, you have to work hard. To, it doesn't mean by saying life is better for a larger number of people than it was 50 years ago, 100 years ago, etc. Doesn't mean you can then go, oh, well, that's that done. It means you have to keep working really hard to, first of all, maintain that level, fight for that level, and then see if you can continue that kind of level of improving of the yeah, access to clean water, access to comfort, access to food, vaccination and all of those things. It's a great uh, com book. Com uh, com completely, completely. And I think... That's why we do so much stuff with refugees over the last few years, because you see, you, you know, like if, you know, when you go to refugee camps, the, the gap between the thing is, we're all I think most of us who are, you know, trying to for, trying to make change are finding an inequality and trying to close that inequality. And I think lots of us are just on, a, you know, sort of going, this is the thing that really it's, it's really what moves you. What's your captain's courageous? What's your Cadbury's advert? And and for me, for the last few years, it's been refugees because I think there's the I can just I can, I can see how the gap I I, I can see how the gap can be closed quickly for some people and their life can be so much dramatically better. And I think I don't know maybe maybe I I need to work for something where I can see a result or something like that. I don't know. I, I feel like. Is this conversation meant to be fine? I'm depressing you. I'm really, really sorry. Sorry, can we can we whatever you the about um, lots of different things. It's it, not depressing. It's interesting. It, uh, I think um, I've just I've seen I've seen personally seen and been part of refugees' lives changing from one of complete hopelessness and deep, deep, repeated trauma, um, and uh, to ones of safety and security and connection. And it's all about connection. If refugees get to the UK, if they're one of the lucky ones that get to the UK and they don't have find connection when they're here, they're really, really unhappy because when they're in Calais, they had hope. And if they get here and they end up maybe in accommodation, government provided accommodation, and maybe they get to go to school, but they have no connection and no community, they get, then what am I hoping for now? And they lose hope because there is no, they were promised the land of milk and honey and then it turns out, I mean, in this case, someone has panicked, bought all the milk and all the honey. But it's that's I'm actually quite close to some refugees who at the moment I can see how triggered they are by all of this because they're like, well, this is a global pandemic. There's nowhere to run now. There's nowhere yeah, to run. Yeah, yeah. But all of the same triggers are going off of get ready to go run, get ready to run, get ready to run. And there is nowhere to run. All the advice is stay indoors. And that's so counterintuitive if you've run from trauma before. Mm. Don't stay indoors. No, that's where they're going to get you. That's where mm. it's going to happen. You know, you mustn't stay indoors. You must run. You must run. You must run. So it's it's um, my uh, sort of flatmate and family member, Steve Alley, who's as, yeah. fam as much family to me as anyone in the world. Um, and I really do mean that. He wrote an amazing article for the British GQ this week called we are all refugees now and it's really it's very cleverly written sort of um 
advice for people who are finding this difficult and he says obviously i'm being hyperbolic by saying we're all refugees now but he says there's a lot of similarities because the, the change has been thrust upon you you didn't ask for it you have to adapt to it you have no choice and mm -hmm. you will and you are look at you you're doing it and it's really great because he puts himself and other refugees in the expert position because they're all mm -hmm. pictured as sort of vulnerable victims and he's like guys, we've got this. Here's your top five tips for getting through this. You will, there'll be a new chapter, but right now you're hoping to go back to your old life. And guess what? You're not going to get to do that. Old lives don't come back, but there can be good things about the new life. It's so brilliant and uh, and clever because it's, it's sort of make it really what it's doing underneath is making people empathize for refugees mm -hmm. who previously wouldn't have, who would have read the GQ and thought refugees are, you know, over yeah, there and yeah. sad and not us. I, I, we better you know, go my friend to... said exactly. Oh, sorry. No, my no, friend no, now said the exactly same thing because some, uh, somebody's staying with her and she was saying that just like watching how or like sharing how he splits up his day in a really sort of clear way of like praying and exercising and all the things that like understanding what you can control and what you can create under mm -hmm. difficult circumstances and how therapeutic that is and helpful it is to keep doing it. And like, yeah, it's... Yeah, and like you're saying, I think it's it's a really good thing if this, well, it's it's hard to go, oh, a good thing that could come out of this because you sort of want to go, does that outweigh the fact that the government's mismanaged it, to, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and people but, are dying, no. I mean, it doesn't. Truly, but a good thing to come out of this could well be that people find themselves more empathetic in ways that they didn't previously. And if that happens, what a good thing for society and what a massively important thing. I truly believe when Corona is uh, is at least managed so that we can come outside again, people will, if the nurses can walk out and say, pay us what we want or we're never going back and people will say, you've got to pay them. I really think the RCN's got to do that. They really, really do. And also people will pay teachers whatever they want. Am I allowed to swear <laughs> on this show? Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> whatever they fucking want if the <laughs> teachers went out and went do you want us to take them back or or we could just go and get great gap years now people would go <laughs> double it triple it whatever <laughs> it takes they are taking my children out of my home i think those people are going to be paid a lot more i really hope so right uh, we need to go because otherwise we're going to run out of time to see my show and tell no because yeah. literally we're, we're nearly we've got 10 minutes left and we oh, haven't yet sorry. done two other performers so uh we are going to come back and we are going to talk more uh, uh but first of all we're going to go to a friend of yours and then we'll do everyone's show and tell uh sorry. that's left no 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 the um so uh someone you toured with a great deal someone who writes beautiful music and works with lots of other fantastic people and uh had a, a very record label a Svengali. he's an island recluse it's Johnny Lynch, a.k.a. The Pictish Trail. And he has a show and tell, and he has a song. So uh, here is The Pictish Trail. Hello. Hi. I am Pictish Trail. You can call me Barry. Don't call me Barry. That's the name of, a, it's the name of another band. Hi, I'm Pictish Trail. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Thank you to Robin and Josie and to Trent for having me on the show. It's very nice of you to, to, to remember me. Uh, full disclosure, I'm pre-recording this. I've got kids and my partner's a farmer and this is a very busy farming time. And so I tend to look after the kids pretty much all day. Um, and uh, they're very young children. One is one years old and one is four years old. 
Um, but in the scraps of time that I've had, I've, I've done a bit of research. I've seen a few clips of the Cosmic Shambles thing you've done, and there's a, sh there's a show-and-tell element. Is that right? I don't know who I'm asking. There's a, so for my show-and-tell, I've brought this shirt, which is a bit of Pictus Trail merchandise, which you can purchase from pictustrail.co.uk. Bit of a plug. But it's not just a shameless plug for that. It's like... This t-shirt has got lots of different characters on it and uh, I've just released an album called Thumb World which was designed, the artwork for the album was designed by a guy called Swat Paz. Swat Paz. Uh, that's a household name in, in Scotland. And uh, Swat, Pat, Swat Paz designed a character for each track on the album which you can see in the album artwork. And so I made a t-shirt and so yeah, there's a song called The Bear With Heart Eyes. There's a song called Fear Anchor. There's a song called Turning Back. There's a little dancing clock there. And yeah, it's a nice, lovely shirt. Funnily enough, I'm about to play you a song from Thumbworld. And it's the only song in the album for which I did not put the track character on the shirt. Because the track character for, for this next song, which I'm going to sing called Double Sided, uh, is a thumb... And it's a sort of weird disembodied thumb with its head taken off and it someone said it looked like a cock. So we didn't put we didn't put it on the shirt. It's an interesting chord to start with. Has any have have you ever heard a song that's ever started with that chord? <laughs> I haven't. Listener, come forward. Move your seats forward. Let me tell you of a tale about a thumb that looked like a cock. Actually, I can... Well, no, I'm not, I won't do that here just now. And I'll play the right chords now for this song called Double Sided. Hopefully I can remember how to play it. to another life it comes all senses simulated hypnotized through double-sided eyes here comes the levitation all this time for never reason I slide into reliving season life by line in row reversal rolling by till hearse rehearsal
school You said it out the wrong way Before the race is run Don't wear it out the wrong way Always back to front You've had it out the wrong way Before the starter's gone Thanks, I've been Pictures Trail and I'll be coming back later. Hello, welcome, welcome back, back to uh, Shambles Stay at Home Festival. We should say, uh, we haven't mentioned it at all today, all today the 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 tip jar we are doing a collection creating a fund for some of the artists musicians singers all manner of uh, uh different things comedians who um uh, have found of course all of their work has entirely vanished for at the very least the next uh, three months because uh, not all performers some of us are lucky and we have other things that we can do and a lot of other performers are literally kind of quite hand-to-mouth uh, on a daily uh, basis doing their gigs so we've got fun for that and we've also and you've got collecting... performers who were working in insecure extra jobs as well so they've lost literally everything they could have done as well yeah that's true yeah. and it's and we're also using that fund to uh um help out some of the smaller venues that may well otherwise go under some of the, those venues have already gone under uh yesterday there we were the the um the first couple of weeks the, the money we gave some money to uh the rondo in bath which is a wonderful the old fire station in Oxford, which is a fantastic place Aww. that does so much work in the local community, and the Little Angel Theatre in Angel. Little Angel does. Puppet Theatre, which is wonderful. If you've not heard the uh, episode of Bookshams we did with Ronnie Drew, who was basically as a child he just loved puppetry, and and then ended up working on things like Labyrinth with David Bowie and uh, uh, Rainbow and all manner of things. And so, and the next time we've we've managed to get enough money to donate somewhere, we will move further north as well, just in case you think we're being very south centric. That was just kind of the first. Birth and we will keep moving that those uh, those funds around. So thank you very much if you can donate. Hopefully it means that we can maintain some form of social and artistic life when we are uh, free again. Um, I need I, oh, I need to, there was a question on the on the uh, right at the beginning of the show which I didn't answer because it just didn't seem right during some of the other conversations. Someone said, "What horror films would you recommend?" Um, and uh, I will. If I don't know if it's available, but really brilliant. There's a film called Ready or Not, which is uh, just an incredible. It's basically about a woman who marries into a family who have a huge collection of board games, and they they made all of these board games. They he, they they're like a kind of Waddington's family. And were any of them sexy board games, Robin? No, there was no Ludo. Though, camera for those of you who were watching, you know, Stuart Lee going about Ludo. <laughs> I was correct. There is an advert for a rude game called Ludo in the Goodies Book of Criminal Records. Oh. So. So, so that's, that's inc firstly that's incredible. Ready or last not, it's year. 
Yeah, it's great. It's really good, really good horror film where it's basically about a woman, a mad, an insane family who uh, end up in a situation. This gives away nothing where, unfortunately, because the game card she pulls means she has to be killed before dawn or something evil <laughs> happens. And it's just a, a brilliant caper in uh, a stately home. And I would also recommend really scary ones. I, I'm sure a lot of you know this, but Midsummer, made by the same oh, director, Hereditary. Very and also it's it's such a fun film to watch uh as a woman who has dated many jerks because essentially it's a revenge plot on a jerky boyfriend and the whole way through you're like (laughs) and then sometimes you do go are these people bad enough to die in such an unpleasant manner and uh, there is the director's oh yeah it's very i mean it's too much no, no, but that's the fun. That, that That's a nice bit. I, I like those kind of films where you go, I'm just not, no, that feels a bit much. I think admonished rather than decapitated. <laughs> you know, there's that, that kind And of... this is why you and I would make such a good revolutionary committee because you'd be there to say, no, de- no decapitations of this one, just an admonishment. Yeah, and an then admonishment I could do for some... five years. <laughs> five years of Can hard I recommend, admonishment. Um, Yes, exactly. Five years. Very good. Um, Can I um, recommend, I'm sure everyone will have seen it, but the film of Ghost Stories, which was the popular stage show, it's genuinely frightening. It's a great film and it really lends itself to multiple watches. It's it's a really great film. I I saw it. I was like, I was the only one in the screen when I saw it and I saw it in that, uh, um, what's that, Um, what's that lovely cinema in Birmingham? We did a gig there. It's a great, the electric cinema, the electric cinema. So I was just sat in a, in a small screen on my own watching ghost stories and it really does crawl all over you. It is. It's fantastic. Um, Um, the the invisible man, the new version of the invisible man is really good. Is that made by the production company, uh, Bloom House, is it? Is it made by Bloom House? I'm waiting for Trent we'll to pop hanging. up. On the we'll screen. leave that hanging. But Trent reckons I think so. That's the best the, uh, isn't it? Going these days, in my opinion. Oh, well, I, I will. Uh, I will uh, also, by the way, again, you've probably all seen it, but I don't know. How, Get Out is a, is a, is a must. Oh, yeah. It's a really great film. And a film that I, I thought was going to be huge and seems to be, it is um, Sorry to Bother You. Which oh, is a I love r- that film. Man, it's Boots Riley, isn't it? I think, as yeah. far as I remember. And it's a Tom film Rage. which is, you know, when it's your film, someone once said that the film, uh, the, the song uh, Cannonball by the Breeders is amazing because it has three different introductions. You, you start listening to one song and then you go, oh, it's just, and now it's become a third song as well, all in the space of 20 seconds. And that's kind of what I think Sorry to Bother You does, which is it, um, you think it's one kind of film, and then you go, "Oh, that's a t- now it's a very different film." And then by the end of it, you go, "Oh, oh. I really was." I does so many things. Please Great. allow me to recommend my zero budget feature film available on demand, Super November, which also does something similar but with slightly less success. In, in that case, can I recommend my good. film, Say My yes! Name, which is not a horror film. It's a sort of old-fashioned screwball comedy where the woman's sort of running around going, I can run a newspaper as well as you or any man. Um, and uh, she doesn't say that. It's in that genre. She doesn't say that at all. It starts with a one-night stand where he can't remember her name in bed uh, and they get involved with some bad guys and so on and so on and so on. Uh, and you can get it on iTunes and Amazon Prime and stuff like that. Oh, we're recommending our films. Can, can films I recommend, recommend Razzle Dazzle? It's so good. A film that I made in 2008, which is about dance competitions. That's oh, it's a fantastic yeah. film. And, and you have uh, such a funny cameo in it, Robin. <laughs> I'm a cow. I also have a funny cameo in my film, but I do not oh. have one in Robin's. 
Now, Listen, guys, that, we've all made films to recommend. And everyone can watch those all... films in one night and it will be the best night of their lives. <laughs> and we all suggest that they do it. Yes. We'll live tweet them. Triple bill of ambition. <laughs> yeah. Um, right, we, sorry. We, sorry, we're going to introduce uh, now. Uh, so I'm trying to think. I think I first met him down in South End. Was it down in South End at the 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 um, railway tavern? Um, his name is Pope Lonergan. He's uh, a, a comedian. He is a writer. He, is a he writer. does, lots, he of really does lots of really interesting events as well. And, he, and some of I, I would say a comedy historian as well. You have an incredible mm. deep knowledge of. Uh, you know, I, I think one of our first conversations must have been about Rick Mail, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes, it was. Am I? Oh, am I on now? All right. Oh, okay. I'm yeah. Sorry. Uh, I would. I would like to recommend my film that I haven't made yet, but I. Uh, <laughs> I probably will at some point. I reckon. Uh, yeah, I think it was. Yeah, I think in the the railway. Uh, talk about Rick Mao. Um, but yeah, I. Uh, can I just? I, I want to talk about something that I just remembered this morning. So my favourite uh, conception of God is something that there's a, a Dutch philosopher that Samuel Beckett was really into, and his name's G E U L. I-N-C-X. I don't know how to pronounce that. Anyway, so his conception of God was this idea of the faraway God, a God that kind of uh, made creation, then looked out the window and has no bearing on any kind of cosmic activity, just made it and pissed off. That's his thing of God. And so in uh, rehab, I am a, a, a junkie. When I went to rehab, we had to come up with this idea of a higher power that we had to give ourselves over to a higher power and when i was uh, six years old i remember i would went to a mild hoarder's house and looked underneath the sofa and there was like a bit of just one single bit of sweet corn there and then <laughs> i went back four years later i looked under the same sofa that the, the sweet corn remained and when in rehab <laughs> they asked me what my higher power was i panicked and said that bit of sweet corn so that bit of sweet corn has become imbued with a uh, significance to me now kind of like the far away god from uh from the that's in beckett so yeah just saying and every now time when i pray to my higher power it's always a bit of sweet corn so uh... <laughs> but that does have cosmological kind of perspective to it because the sweet corn can become popcorn so that that idea of expansion not at the same rate obviously at the beginning of the universe but nevertheless i see why sweet corn was your chosen vegetable to uh, worship exactly. it's a douglas adams god to have yeah um, I, I quite like it i quite like that that is my and, and like robin says it makes perfect sense so uh, well, I definitely... also you've got alan moore choosing to worship ancient uh, snake gods, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I like I like the idea of the same way that if I get a jumper made, I'll get it custom made with like I don't want to have a jumper that someone else has. And I liked Alan Moore for that reason that he he chose his own god. And uh, so yeah, I'm glad that my god is a sweet corn. But so um, very, very varied and interesting show today, and one that I'm actually thrilled to be a part of. <laughs> I'm going to get a jumper made that just says on it whatever Pope Lonergan's wearing. And yeah. therefore, I feel in some way covers you. The, um, um, I wanted to ask you about what one of the things is, as well as you, you've been, you've done, as well as working in care homes, you've also done gigs in care homes Indeed. and organised things yeah. like that. And one of the reasons today, in particular, was we were seeing that in, in the news that a lot of the statistics from care homes, etc., are kind of being ignored. And and you wrote something the other day, which I think you sent to Stuart Lee, which I thought was a very interesting perspective on what we're seeing on different senses of philosophy and people's reaction to the you know mortality in this 
Yeah, yeah. Well, Stuart like um, asked me to kind of provide a detailed uh, account of my experiences with, with, with the elderly care. And for a long time, we've been the, the elderly care system has been failing for a long, 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 long time. And one of the companies I used to work the individuals who manage the homes and the carers are wonderful but the people who are the directors they would plead poverty and take away small tr seems trivial but really impactful to to the residents i'd take away things like peanut butter to save money and these residents look forward to just peanut butter on toast every day makes makes the day a bit brighter i actually do a bit of uh, stand-up about me starting a coup d'etat with people with dementia uh, as a result of this deprivation but it, it and they would always get us to turn um like heating off and turn electricity off even in the winter again to save money but these directors were still awarding themselves 1.2 million pound bonuses oh i think they, they, they each of the directors they got uh, a 4.4 million pound salary in 2017 and we have seen this crumbling system for I, I was in elderly care for eight years for eight years it's never been any different there's mm. been skeletal staff there's been uh, that's why that's why you want to go how can these things possibly be run at a profit when they're about people's welfare and lives like I, that's where, that's where I, I i can't understand how people can justify it i, I can't physically bear it completely agree like i got i don't I got quite emotional talking about it. Like I've devoted uh, my life to these people, and I'm, I'm, you know, they're 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 an extension of my family. They really are. I'm not just yeah. saying that to be cloying and saccharine. And I really did love these people very much. And any um, uh, healthcare or, or welfare organisation should not be profiteering in that way. And it should it shouldn't. That's, I agree. It shouldn't be a uh, privately owned company who's dealing with this because they are just worrying about their bottom line and um yeah to the detriment of the welfare of the residents and the welfare of the staff i mean i, I work with staff members who are like sitting in their 60s they had lupus um i have uh, uh crohn's disease so that i my auto i'm autoimmune deficient and no pp has been provided the care companies are unwilling to pay for agency staff to fill the gaps in in staffing because agency staff cost more per hour and it's uh yeah it's, it's diabolical but it's been this way for ages it's been this way for a long 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 time and now a light is uh, being shone in it but uh unfortunately under terrible circumstances so yeah yeah i think that's um something i really want to kind of ra ra uh, raise awareness of and I'm a rabble rouser. Like I, 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 I like I'm. I can be stubbornly defiant with certain things. If I, if I see that, see uh, that companies uh, not being run very well and residents are suffering as a result of that, the elders are suffering. Then I'm going to, uh, yeah, bang on about it. So uh, <laughs> thank you. Where, where is the the best place to in terms of? Because this is one of the problems. Is a lot of these things go unreported. Things. Go unreported until they become something which, for a brief day, you know, is is, yeah. is is a flare of melodrama, and then it dies off, and we don't. So where can people? Where are the best kind of sources of people getting information about what is actually going on? Apart from you know, obviously you, and there must be other people as well. I presume who are hopefully writing about this. Uh, the the, the uh, the details about uh, what the I got from the Guardian, um, but I don't, I don't, I haven't really seen anywhere 
that covers it that extensively it's always a, a bit of like surface detail on what's going on but i've not seen anywhere that's really digging deep into this and again it's because i, I suppose the 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 whistleblower thing in in medical industries can be quite porous and people are worried about usually you know very very low income like i like just for instance to shine a light on that so in edinburgh i was part of phil ellis's show and my uh, i had to daily what i had to do was dress up as a shit clown pretend to suck off a trombone get shot dead by phil and then phil would call me a, a podgy slut while i was on stage anyway so that was me that was what i had to do as part of phil ellis's show i got 10 pound an hour for that show which is two pound 40 more than i've got from the you know helping to continue uh, an elderly person's life and um people yeah it's very it's very low income and people are just worried about job security which is threatened when you you raise the alarm about this stuff yeah. so uh, i'm not really seeing anywhere i mean there's some wonderful things like this book's great uh, what dementia teaches us about love love and that looks into like the philo philosophical aspects of uh, neurodegenerative diseases there's an amazing article in the new yorker and one in harper's that were sort of the, the three best things i've ever read about this but aren't going into the the, the institutional failings of, yeah, of yeah. the care sector well but that's the other thing is like would you talk a little bit about the gigs that you've done in care homes and what it was like what it doing, was like doing that tour because i think it's such a brilliant thing and so beautiful and yeah tell me more oh, thanks that. thank you Josie. yeah so we noticed even when i've talked to people from age uk and that is that they will just focus on the very um uh, essential uh, medical needs but they won't focus on the holistic benefits of having of trying to encourage a, a sense of play within the residents uh, to try and make them laugh they're good with stuff like music which is amazing and and it, it really does help to uh, keep these people stimulated and engaged and uh, feel like they're still part of the world but when i've gone in to these care homes um we wanted to find a way to sort of the, the holistic benefits of nurturing the human behind the illness and we what we say is like we go in it's like an improv troupe where three quarters of us have dementia so we allow them, we have a sort of rough framework of what we might do, but we allow them to guide the sense of play. And there will be some who are happy to just, you know, sit back and uh, process what's going on in a very passive way. They don't want to be a participant. And we absolutely, you know, accept that and we, we won't disturb those people. But then you usually find when you start, you know, joining in with these games, there'll be people who will be very vocal and really want to be part of the activity and what's going on so then we'll you know they become part of the improv troupe and so we the last one we did at leicester comedy festival we had uh jos norris and luke rollison and nathan lang and unfortunately ben tarjay who i who i co-created with wasn't able to make it down but jos norris went in with a box and this was supposed to be a, a, a memory box of our most sacred memories you put all your most sacred memories and objects in the box but then people started putting in their actual house keys and it looked like we were just trying to gouge <laughs> like, we, <laughs> like we were uh, con men who were trying to gouge but then and then that became part of the narrative that we were 
that became part of the narrative that we were um, uh, we were creating. And then the, one of the gentlemen who put his keys in there kept saying that how weak and how puny that we all looked. So then we started a, a, like a, a, an arm wrestling competition with him. <laughs> then we were and then I, me as MC, I would have to, I would say to all the the, the residents like, we're going to judge all the performers and we're going to see how much money we get to reduce off of their fee if we think they're really rubbish and then it becomes a thing of me and all the residents from panel judging John Sorrish <laughs> tying himself up with string and trying to untie himself and then I, I, we, we found our um, a gentleman who was a carpenter so he became our resident carpentry expert and then me and him engaged in this dialogue about creating a birdhouse that was so big that if our children were being a real nuisance, we could pop them in the birdhouse <laughs> to get them sharp from it. And then that, and then the other resident had like input in like why that would be a good idea, some why that would be a bad idea. And it just yeah, that's what it, it's a way to it's a way to create a, a conversation and uh, allow them to get back in touch with their ludic selves so uh, mm -hmm. and that's that's kind of what we're doing i really wish that someone would make a documentary and follow you guys because i think it's something that is so uh, like uh, like would be such a blessing to watch and would be so beautiful mm. similarly to what we were talking about earlier in the week with the young at heart choir um is that what they're called, the Young at Heart Chorus? Yeah, Young at Heart Chorus, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Young at Heart Chorus. I, I think... Um, music choir. I can't remember now. I can't But anyway, it. what I will say, I will say is we have to end because we've gone way over time. And uh, I'm, sorry. I'm sorry we didn't do your show and tell. We didn't do Pope's show and tell. Oh, I my. Think there were lots, of, there were lots of wonderfuls, all yours. So we, there's a real backlog of show and tells. It's a rollover week for show and tells. Um, and, Could I just uh, if I just plug one thing, Robin, my version of my show, Pope's Addiction Clinic. That's at 9pm, 8th of May, uh, through Next Up's online street. That and we'll put the links up as well. Deborah, we do something you would like to, uh, obviously the Guilty uh, Feminist I'm, Podcast. I'm doing, and... an, I'm doing an Instagram live at 6pm called The New Normal, where I interview Yay! a Guilty Feminist regular or friend of the podcast about how their time in quarantine, asking them the same questions. Uh, they all go up on YouTube afterwards. We had Tom Allen last night. Uh, we've got Samantha Baines. There's ones with May Martin, Ashling B. Sindhu V's is very, very beautiful because she talks about the death of her mother. Some of them are quite, some of them are like very funny, but hysterically funny. And then suddenly everyone starts crying. I need to warn you of that. It's it, You're watching raw uh, emotion in quarantine, the new normal, 6 p.m., the guilty feminist uh, Insta live feed. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for watching. Thank you, Josie. Uh, go to the tip jar if you coming. can. Don't forget to subscribe to us on uh, YouTube and also our Patreon to make all of the other things that we do. Uh, I think we're going to leave you with uh, a song. Uh, again, another song from Johnny the Pictish Trail. No, are we either going to leave you with that or we're we going to leave you with nothing no, at not. all? Let's find out what happens. We're nothing not. Goodbye. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget cosmicshambles.com slash stay at home to catch up on all the previous episodes, find out who's coming up on upcoming episodes and to leave a tip for acts and artists and venues who are hit hardest at the moment. And if you'd like to support us at the Cosmic Shambles Network, patreon.com slash bookshambles. <laughs>